do you want to feed the dog? First, John, again, I want to just remind you is that if there's one thing you have from the Lord is, a, is his word. John, I do like when he writes First John, he specifically is writing to the believer, so therefore the thoughts you can get from John can be very applicable as much as they were then as they are now. Um, I'll just make sure I've got the right... Let's have a look. Let's pick it up and say chapter 3 and verse... We'll pick it up in verse 3 here and I'll just give a little introduction to this thought here. I'll just make... Yeah, here we go. So let's say, and every man, in verse 3, that have this hope in him purify himself even as he's pure. So the idea then is that we are saved, amen. We have the hope of God in us. Thank the Lord for that. Then he says, verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And just remember, God was manifest to take away the sins of the world. He is the propitiation of man's sins. God saved the human race by giving Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God and it's a matter now of each person receiving him as Saviour. Verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth have not seen him, neither know him. So the idea then is that we are, as believers, he knows your name, we can abide in him. It's your position in Christ. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. So remember, it was Satan where sin began in heaven. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. So the manifestation of Christ was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Now, just to explain that is that when you have been, when you are saved, you've been born again. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. You have now a new seed in you. You have a new nature in you, which is Christ. And that new nature cannot sin. But the trouble is we have a old nature that can sin. And I just say to you, if you're saved this morning, which we are, you are your new nature, by the way, okay? Just keep that in mind. You are not your old nature. You are your new nature. He, the, and his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, means the children of God are known, made known, just as Christ was made known. And the children of the devil, whosoever does not righteousness is not of God. So let's just pick it up there and I won't continue there but let me just pray first Father we ask that you would Lord help help me this morning help us Lord as a church and help us to get something from thy word in Jesus name we pray amen I want to if you keep in mind that there's a thing to keep in mind that you realize that as a believer the world will not receive you because it knows him not can I get a, an amen out of that? The world will not receive the believer 
because they know him not, or you could say the world does not have the Spirit of God unless you're saved, unless you're born again. So when you realise that, that is, uh, as we're not to walk around where I don't want people to receive you, but the point is, is that that spirit they won't receive at the moment. Can I make, a, can I make just a note here? God is not interested in the world if the world receive Israel. He's not interested in that at all. He's interested in one thing, that they would receive him as their Messiah, the one that they rejected, and that they would receive him as Saviour. That's what God's interested in. He's not interested in this world, whether they receive Israel. He's interested only in one thing, is that they rejected their Messiah. They are on the wrong side of God. And at the moment, the Jews will not get on the right side of him until probably further into what is known as the tribulation. I want you to keep in mind God is not interested in whether this world receives receives the Jews. And eventually, Lord willing, I guess that the Jews will come to that point where they say, hang on, we need God, amen? And of course, as, as believers, we need God. We are saved, but we still need him. So Jesus was manifest. <laughs> I like that idea. He destroyed the works of the devil. Jesus came to do the Father's will. He did not do his own will. He is the example that we should follow because in, uh, I think it is, I'll just see, in verse 16 of that chapter, John points out really clearly to us, he says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he, that's Christ, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You realise that Jesus, as the Son of God, sent by God, he said, I did not come to do my will, I've come to do the Father's will, of what he saw the Father did. And eventually, in the garden, Jesus Christ lays down his right as the Son of God and goes through the cross as the Son of Man. When you look at Christ, he is the perfect example of someone laying down their rights for another, which he did. In this case, he laid it down for the Father's will. That's why in Isaiah it says in verse 53:10, prophesying of him, he said, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall be prosper in his hand. So in the garden, when the Lord said, Not my will, but thine being done, it was the final act of Christ submitting to the will of God or to the Father, and then by doing so, he laid down his rights. And that's why the Bible said, though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, meaning that in all eternity past, Jesus Christ never had to obey anything. Amen. He was God. So down on earth, as the Son of Man, he suffered, he had to learn obedience, and he laid down his rights. Now, 
when you and I got saved, you are born again, but more so, primarily, it goes a little deeper than that because we received the we receive what God required. Now, where I find it really interesting today, somehow in the human thinking, God can't have a will and God can't require something. And because he is holy, it has to be on his terms, not on our terms. And when it's on God's terms, we get on the right side of God. And as I said last week, there's a term that I'm fine missing today where the old timers used to say, <laughs> get right with God. Get on the right side of God. I agree with the statement. I mean, God required an offering in Genesis. That offering was uh, an offering which was, it took a sacrifice and Abel brought the right offering of a lamb. We would presume it was a lamb slain and when Adam and Eve sinned, something had to die to cover them because God covered them with the coats of animals. And then you have Cain here and Cain in his human thinking, in his religious mind brings the works of his hands to God as an offering and God did not accept that offering and told Cain, go to thy brother and you'll do well because you'll bring the right offering. Are we getting this? Because I need to keep saying this. Because the way to get right with God for the human race, because Jesus died for all of us, to get right with God is to receive his son, Jesus Christ, and be saved. Amen? person who is not saved is not right with God because they don't want to come to God on his terms and receive the right offering which was Jesus Christ. Amen? It's an offering. But what would rather man do is bring an offering of their hands, of their good works, of their, of their religious spirit, you could say. And have you ever seen what it happens when you cross someone's self-righteousness and say, oh, no, no, you need to be saved? That's God's requirement. Because God is God and he has a will. And his will is that every man should not perish, amen? That the world should be saved, but you must come to God on his terms. So we now live in a world that God is no longer God. He has no will, he has no right, it almost seems. And yes, I do believe we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But God is telling those Jews, you guys are on the wrong side of me. Amen? But the good news is they can get on the right side of God. And that's what the Bible is about, really, when you think about it. 
So the right offering, you know, and it's a wonderful thing to think that we are saved, we have received the atonement, amen? <laughs> Meaning that I do not trust, and neither should you trust in anything we do, but we should, our trust should be just totally in everything Christ did. My identification is to identify with his death, that it was his death, and, and to remember that we are saved. And it's funny today, you know, you remember the story of the rich man in hell? In Luke 16, verse 19, and there was Lazarus laid at the gate. I'll just read this for you just for a minute, just to, as I try to get a, a bit of a foundation here from the Bible before we really get into what I'm, where I think we should go. Um, in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, and I'm sure most of you know it, the passage, but I'll read it just as a, a way of keeping, yeah, keeping things... Yeah, the Bible says there was a certain rich man, of course the Lord is speaking, which is clothed in purple, fine linen, fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, a rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. See if Abraham afar off, this would have been Abraham's bosom, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, Likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now is he comforted, and now are tormented. And beside this, there's a great gulf fixed between you and me, that, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Just by the way, if you ever hear someone said they went to hell and back, they haven't. That's not possible. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. So the rich man is now very concerned about his brethren. And he's asking God, listen, could you send Lazarus to my brethren? He says, I have five of them. And he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be per persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The the message here is that God has given us the scriptures and unfortunately today many choose not the fear of the Lord and they ignore then the word of God and of course the word of God reveals Christ to us, amen, and we can, we can know that we have been saved. And when you look at this, 
though someone rose from the dead, but unless they go to Moses. You know, I just say something here and it does disturb me. I hear now, because we're in this Israeli war at the moment, the Christians or a lot of people are looking at end times, okay? And there's a problem with this. And have you noticed that even as it is maybe the end times, we're closer than we were, amen? We are definitely closer, there's no doubt about that. Have you noticed that people aren't getting saved because it is the end times? Wouldn't you think that would worry you? Wouldn't you think I would, I, I need to I get a little bit worried about this thing? <laughs> but it's funny how people aren't getting saved because of the end times. And there's something I keep hearing, and this is what I want to say to you, which is similar to that passage there. This is the message that you will hear. Christ died, was buried, rose again, and is coming again. That is not the gospel, and Christ is not back yet. The gospel is Christ died for what? Our sins, was buried and rose again for what? Our justification. The gospel is not connected to the second coming. The gospel is connected to someone's salvation. And listen, wouldn't you rather see people get saved by the gospel and get your mind off the end time stuff because what has that got to do with heaven and hell? Let's just be honest for a moment. The message has changed and they are watering down the gospel and the second coming will not save anybody and I know I'm getting frustrated and I'm hearing about it because listen, when you read that chapter there, what happened to the rich man? He was where? In hell. We need to get strong and understanding that Christ died for our sins. That is still the message. <laughs> it is. That is the message. That is still the message. The second coming is not to do with us. It's to do with Israel. That's why it's called the second coming. Because the first advent, they rejected him. And Lord willing, on the second advent, they will receive him. Amen? That's just the Bible. That's just a simple Bible fact. So what I mean then is that, what I mean is that we've got to be careful as believers not to be shifted by a gospel that's not true. The gospel is Christ died for our sins, was buried again, and rose for our, what? Justification. And we are justified, what? Freely by Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not a message people want to hear. I know, I'd like to, I said to Isabel before she was playing some heavenly song, I said, wouldn't it be nice if we could just <laughs> slip into heaven, amen? And there'll be a time when the Lord will come back and he will take us out of here. We will meet the Lord in the air and um, I suppose the hope for the believer then, as the more you see going on in this world, maybe the closer we get to hearing that trumpet, amen? 
But here's the point, though. The trumpet will take us out of here. When you look in the Bible, then, that you now and I have been saved, you and I have been redeemed, and that's the fact. The fact of the matter is that if you're a believer, you have been redeemed. Now, here's the, here's the, the tough bit of that. The tough bit of that part is that means that Jesus Christ, what? Owns you. <laughs> he owns you. He owns us. He bought us. He purchased us. Before I was saved, I could spit in his face. Can I get an amen out of that? Now that I'm saved, I'm whose? His. And I think this is what we have to come back as believers of realising who we belong to and that is the Lord. When you look at Saul um, in the Bible, when you study the book of Saul who became Apostle Paul, it's amazing how God took a rebel, which he was, and turned him into a captive. When you look at Paul, when you read his testimony of how he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, God said to Ananias, I've chosen him to be a vessel. Can I just say something here? If God doesn't ask you to do something for him, don't. unless he asks you. You know, there's a lot of preaching and preachers today that are doing something God never asked them to do. They're self-appointed, working for God. It's insane if you think about it. How can you work for God? <laughs> God can work for us, amen? There's a difference. So Saul was a rebel. He sat at the feet of Gamil, I think the name was, the Pharisee. Yeah, that's where he said, I'm verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Sicily, yet brought up in this, in, in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamaliel or something, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God as he are this day. If you remember, he was brought up at the feet of this Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was perfect in the law. He gave his voice against anyone found in that way when you read the book of Acts. He was a rebel to God because in his mind he thought he was doing God's service. By the way, don't the, do the Muslims think they're doing God's service by getting rid of Israel? <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> God Almighty, you know, that's what they go on about. Let's get rid of Israel. But he was a Pharisee and he sat at that feet. Now, when you sit at the feet of someone, you submitted your will. Like we looked at last week, Martha and Mary, Mary sat at the feet of Christ. When you look at the fact that he was a rebel and then God took that rebel and made him a captive and, and then Paul later on writes, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that he walk worthy of the vocation wherewith he are called. You know, Paul became the Lord's and he was happy, he was joyful 
to be a prisoner of the Lord. He was happy the fact that God had called him and yet now he was a prisoner, he's a captive. You know, it's interesting when you think about it, most people think the Christian life is going to be a life of do's and don'ts and they don't like, don't like the idea of maybe God making you a captive unto him and you are his prisoner. But can I say something to you seriously? There's more joy, there's more liberty, amen, being a captive of the Lord Jesus Christ, being in his prison, hallelujah, than there is out in this particular world because when you got saved, God put you in God. Think about the children of Israel, uh, the free, the, um, in Daniel. Remember, the, remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? And remember how they were, remember how they were brought into captivity? And they were young Jews and they were brought under a heathen, brought under a heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar. And you know, Daniel stayed in captivity for 70 years and they became a circle within a circle. What do you mean? Did they stop worshipping God? No. Did they get shuck in the lion's den? <laughs> Daniel did. <laughs> the other three ended up in a fire, didn't they? <laughs> but they were in a circle and a circle. Who looked after them? Now here's what I'm saying. This is what John's saying. Abide in him. Stay in. Stay walking in Christ. Even though that might seem a narrow way, that's where God wants us to stay in. You know, if you think about it, if you think about it, I never saw the free Hebrew children try to escape Babylon, amen? <laughs> and they stayed in. You know, when you think of Paul for a moment, when you think of Paul, and I'm going to be a little sarcastic here, but what did Paul ask the Lord? What did the Paul ask the Lord three times? I'll read it out to you. Think about Paul. He gets chosen. He gets now he's becomes a prisoner of the Lord. God tells Ananias that he's going to be a vessel. He will suffer many things for his namesake. By the way, Paul later on, he writes, he says, I thank Christ Jesus who finding me faithful, putting me in the ministry. You know, Paul later on thanked God for the fact that God chose him, that then God used him, and he was the one who was given the revelations of the basically the New Testament or the body of Christ. When he went down into Arabia, he comes back. Uh, but Paul writes here and he says this, and I think this is in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's writing this. I'm going to be a little bit sarcastic here in a moment. He said, I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God no. That's when he was stoned, by the way. <laughs> he was stoned unto the point of death. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So, you know, Paul was shipwrecked. He was... Um, he went for all kinds of, he went all kinds of things. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. So Paul says. So Paul says this. He says, "Listen, I've been to the third heaven. None of us here have been to the third heaven, by the way. <laughs> not only that, Paul went down into Arabia for three and a half years." 
and he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, which you have the Pauline epistles, which was hid from the ages to pass. So when you look at Paul and you think of this man who was a rebel, he gets saved, he's the greatest Christian outside of, well, he just is. Jesus wasn't a Christian, he was the son of God. That how he was caught up into paradise, of such a one I will glory yet of myself, I will not glory but in mine infirmities. Now think about him. An infirmity is not a good thing to have, amen. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I am forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. So he's not going to glory. Can I say something here? I'm sick and tired of pastors being lifted up above what they should be lifted up. Hmm? Can I get an amen out of that? Seriously? I mean, this guy here, Paul, puts all of us to shame, really. And yet he's saying, listen, I'd rather glory in mine infirmities that I'm not going to glory and be lifted up with the revelations God had given him. And he said, verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, a fawn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. If you remember last week, remember God's elevated as it go up first or down? It goes down first. And then God lifts us up. What does Satan's elevator do? <laughs> Lift us up, okay? Okay, now, I'm sure none of us here will be lifted up. <laughs> I'd rather look at me. <laughs> Amen. I know something. And I'm just the most wonderful person in the world. And I'm being sarcastic because Paul is saying here, I had a messenger from Satan to buffet. To buffet means to keep down. God said, Paul, you sat at the feet of Gamil, whatever his name was, and you were lifted up my pride in your old nature. Now I have chosen you and I've given you the revelations and I have sent Satan to send a buffet to humble you, to keep you down so you will not be exalted above measure. That's not a popular message today, by the way, amen? Okay, so just keep going here for a moment. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice. So I could imagine he, he went to the Lord three times and he said, I want this thing to depart from me. The Lord said, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasures and infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, I'm going to be really sarcastic here. Could you imagine Paul running off to the psychologist? I met this man on the road to Damascus. And I have all these infirmities. And I have all these problems. Can you fix me? Isn't that the world's cancel? What's Paul saying? 
No, I'd rather glory in my what? Infirmities. Keep down. There's too much what I call Christian whinging today. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, but, but Jan, it's getting too hard. <laughs> Stop whinging, boy. But we whinge, don't we? We think we need something. We think there's something wrong with us. Yes, there is something wrong with us, amen? That's why we got saved, <laughs> amen? I didn't get saved because I thought I was doing well. I got saved because I thought this is, isn't going too well for me. So the idea then is that when you look at this, we have an example of Jesus Christ himself who laid down his rights. Paul is an example to us as believers to realise that it's not about our infirmities, it's not about our lifestyle, it's not about anything now, it's very much about us staying in and when we are weak, guess whose strength is made perfect? God's. That's what he's saying. And God can strengthen us when we are weak. Have you ever noticed that? I've noticed it, because I can tell you right now, guys, I, there's sometimes I wish I couldn't even preach. I do not want to do this. There's nothing in my human body that even desires it. <laughs> Amen. And then the Lord, you know what God says? I've got you where I want you, Moya. You're weak. I'll use you now when you're weak. I'm going to keep you down. That's why you've got to be very careful of this modern-day Christian religion. It's fake and it runs on, a, runs on a wrong platform. Have a look at, with me to Luke chapter, keep an eye on the time, Luke chapter 15 here. Now Luke chapter 15 is the story about the prodigal son. I'm sure most of us, we do know that this passage, the prodigal son, Jesus once again speaking about the prodigal here just as he mentioned the, the rich man. The prodigal son is a, is a famous passage of scripture. It's also known as the best short story ever written. And uh, the prodigal meant he was a waster. So let's just pick this up in a moment here. In verse uh, in 11, yeah, verse 11 of 15, he says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. So these two sons were real, a certain man. So the younger lad, he, he, wanted, his, he wanted the portion of goods that belonged to him. That was his right, you could say. Um, he had a right to that. And the father divides, divided unto him his living. That was the other son. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with righteous living. By the way, can I just say something? The father, don't you think the father would have known the son? Don't you think the father, when he's giving the inheritance to the son, don't you think the father knows this boy's going to waste it? Because he's the father, amen? <laughs> I think it's quite funny, you know, thinking, hey, you'll be back, because I know you're going to waste this. I know you're going to waste this substance. You're going to go off and you're going to run it. Now, listen, listen, the boy has lifted up his right. 
He hasn't laid down his rights. He's lifted up his right to take what's his. So the father does that. And then he takes off. Verse 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. If you know anything about Jews, that's not the place you need to end up. Under a Gentile, feeding what? Swine, pork. That ain't good. And he would fain have filled his belly with husk, and he, the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. So he's got himself on the spot now. He's wasted everything. And he's come to himself, and he, he looks back at the father's house, and he you can see the servant's doing okay, and I'll rise and go to my father. And I'll say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And this boy's doing something on the way back. He's getting right with God. I took it because I wanted it. And I wasted it. And he's on his road back. And he's saying, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. So we know the story. So he's somewhat repetitive of what he's done and he's going to get back on the right side of God here, which he does. But verse 19, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Hmm. Make me one of thy hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and compassion and ran and fell on his what? Neck and what? Kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. When you look at the story here, the father was waiting for him to come back. <laughs> he was waiting for this son to get back in again. And I'm pretty sure the father did this. Okay, son, I'll give this to you. And who's ever asked something from the Lord and you kept asking it and you kept asking it and then God gave it to you? You know the son, the father said to the son here, I think he just said, here son, see how far this takes you. Go hang yourself. Take the, take the inheritance, off you go, see how far it gets you. It didn't get him very far, did it? And he ends up in a place where he can now only look back to the father's house. I remember Jan said, what did you say, hun? He said to the Lord, I can go anywhere. And the Lord said, well, where, where are you going to go, Jan? <laughs> <laughs> Who's ever said that to the Lord? I'm now saved and I can go and do what I want. 
wrong. You can't. Because he owns you and me and we are his children now. Amen? And sometimes God gives us leeway and he says, all right, well, off you go then. You've got your rights. See how far that gets you, amen? And he lets us go and off we run and we think we're free again, amen? We think we're, we've found freedom. Hallelujah. We're <laughs> I know the feeling, don't worry. And we've escaped. We've got out of here. You know, sometimes Jan and I don't mind driving out of Kingaroy, amen? We think, hallelujah, we've got out of this place for a little while. But it's a temporary freedom because then God brings you back where? Where he wants you. And you know where God wants you is where you find the joy, the freedom, the liberty. And you think your freedom was freedom. In fact, it wasn't. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. Listen, I'd rather glory in my infirmities. I'm thankful I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He wasn't running around after himself. Now, here's, now here's an interesting thing here. The father was waiting for him. He knew that he would waste it. And the father saw him, had compassion. Oh, you've come back, son. And on the way you got right with God. Amen to that. And let us have a feast. And that's what they did. So think about it. So they have a big feast. So, so he says in verse 24, he says, oh, he says, say, pick it up and say verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. <laughs> He's got back in again, amen? And now there's more waste being made. What do you mean? Get the fatted calf, kill it. Do you know your father has cattle on a thousand hills? And there's more waste now made for the boy that went and wasted everything. And the father says... My son was dead, but now get the best things. Let's make a fuss. Let's make a feast. And isn't it something wonderful as a being a believer when you get around other Christians, amen, and God gets in right amongst us as believers, hallelujah, and he starts working and there's fellowship, amen, and there's something that happens that you cannot explain, but I can understand it because we are the sons of God. Don't forget that. We belong to him. So here the father then happens here, the fatted calf, kill it. My son was dead and is alive again. But look in verse, look, let's have a look in verse 25, but his eldest son was in the field. Now the field in the Bible is a picture of the world. Love not the things of the world, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father have killed the fatted calf, because he have received him safe and sound. And he was angry. And what's the next couple of words, everyone? And would not go in he would not go into the father's house therefore came his father out and entreated him 
don't, don't you think the Lord's merciful to us? <laughs> and he answering and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. You know, listen, buddy, you sound a little bit self-righteous there. Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Who was the eldest son's friends? They were found where? In the what? World. They must have had television back in those days because as soon as this thy son was come which have devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. By the way, that's fake news. He's being an accuser of the brethren. The other boy didn't spend it with harlots. He just wasted it. Amen? He's been accused of the brethren. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan. Amen? He's accused him. And I'm just sort of wondering, you know... I'm just sort of wondering, you know, the, when I think of the elder son, I said, well, your friends are in the field. You won't go in because you're offended because your brother has come home again. Father's received him. You won't go in because of your pride. You've been listening to the world who probably made some story about your, the other brother that he was living with harlots. And you've come back to the father and you've accused him to the father's face that he'd been sleeping with harlots when he wasn't, he was just a waster. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. I think it's amazing here when you look at this story with the one boy who got right with God and gets on the right side of the father the other one gets angry and what's revealed in the other son his pride amen now listen to me pride will knock on the door but it won't go in he knocked on the door to get the servants out, but he wouldn't go in. Does that make sense? And, and listen to me. Have you ever heard, oh, but they're hurting? What's that, everyone? Pride. I'm hurt. No, that's your pride that gets hurt. He's hurt. He's prideful. He just won't go in. Now listen, as a believer, you should never put yourself as being in the elder son position. Make sure your friends are with other believers. Don't get caught up in the world. Don't get caught up in, in, in the fact that they are listening to the brethren. And can you, I say something to everyone, I know here personally this, that as a believer, I know that you get accused by the brethren. You say, Brother Simon, how do you know 
that you get accused by the brethren? Because I do. <laughs> oh, that's that Simon. Seriously. And you know when people start accusing one another, do you find them in church or out of church? Out of church, amen? And then they wonder around why they've why they got so much pride and they're hurt. That's because you guys just won't humble yourself and get in, amen? I'm being serious right at the moment because I think like this. Jesus Christ is coming back. And I want to be found in him when he returns. Amen? I don't want to be found on the outside. I don't, I don't want my friends to be with the world. I want the world to find Christ, amen, but I don't want it around the other way. And here's the thought. And you look at this and you think, well, that's a pretty negative message, Moya. Well, it's not really. If, you remi- if we remind ourselves of something, and in Romans 8, verse 37, it says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that, what? Loved us. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. There's nothing here that can keep us away or out of the love of God. Amen? Nothing. That's what he says, nakedness and pearl and so forth. Because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We need to remember that. I think there's another verse that probably should be put in the lunchboxes, this one in 2 Timothy. said, God have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. See, the eldest son, pride was hurt. And he presented to the father his rather religious works when he said, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. No, it's got nothing to do with us serving God. It's the very fact that we are saved and we are more than conquerors for him that loved us. The one thing, the, the youngest son got caught in fear He got caught in darkness. What do you mean? Well, where did he end up? He ended up with no money. He ended up in a time of peril because there's a famine coming. He joined himself with the world. Does he have the spirit of love or fear? Fear. Now listen to me. Was he the father's son? What did he have to fear? Nothing. He was walking in what? Darkness. Darkness is when we look back and he was looking at the servants and thinking, they're doing better than me. No, no, listen, mate. Listen, buddy. You are not walking in the light of the scriptures. The light of the scriptures says we are sons of God. Amen. Are we being saved or are we saved? We are saved. Amen. Is there anything stopping us from keeping on the outside? No. It's only fear and darkness. It gets in the way. Now, if you have a spirit of fear, 
Did God give you the spirit of fear? No. And who did? Satan did, amen? For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. I have nothing to be fearful of. If I was the prodigal, which I have been, and who's wasted everything here, and, and if you look back in your life and think, man, what a big mess I've made of my life. Who's looked, even since you've been saved, do you think, uh, you know, I say, hon, look at the money we spent. Does regret come into your life? <laughs> Do you sometimes wish I could have changed things? Do you sometimes wish I could have done something a bit better? Seriously. <laughs> Guess what? God still loves you. Because we're more than conquerors for him that loved us. Amen. What does it really matter? And now I'm not going to allow Satan, I'm not going to allow the world, I'm not going to allow the spirit of fear to enter in to take away the liberty that you and I have in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to be brought back into bondage because I'm too scared of whether I might hurt your feelings. What do you mean? Well, some people, you've got to walk around them like this. Who's ever, who's ever walked around someone and it's like walking around in eggshells? And you're so worried about offending them? Guess what? I don't care about offending them because that is their pride and that pride keeps someone away from Jesus Christ. Think about it. And what keeps people away from Jesus Christ? Religion. And you know the big one I think today is Christian religion is keeping people away from Jesus Christ because they're too scared to walk in light of the scriptures realise we have received the atonement and I do not and neither do you need the approval of the brethren which seems to have been happening a lot now. And the real problem I think is that we need to stay in and the way we stay in as believers is quite simple is our resolve is to stay in. The prodigal son was in a famine. And he didn't have any light. Because all he could see was darkness and somehow he felt he wasn't accepted by the father. And you know that I think Christians are starving today. I think we're in a famine. Because Jesus said to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of what? The mouth of God. Matthew chapter 4, 4. Are you thankful? Are you thankful you have this? And God said man should not live by what? 
we're wined that by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And this book gives us the light that we need in the journey we're down here, amen? And Christians are starving today. Phil, the father's son, yes, he just didn't realise it. Think about that. So the prodigal son was always the son of God, a son to the father. The eldest son was the eldest son, a son, yes, but he wouldn't go in because of pride. So when you look at when you look at some of these stories in the Bible and you look at those examples, then I hope that you can start then realizing that your position is in Jesus Christ. We have we are more than conquerors through him that loved us because the Bible says that. We do not need to be brought into bondage by Christian religion. We do not need to uplift men. We need to stay humble and make sure Christ is lifted up. And when Jesus is lifted up in our lives, that's when we stay in, amen? And the old timers used to say this. They used to say, and I'll close here quickly. Bible, they used to say, sin will keep you from the book. And that's your right to yourself. That's what sin is. And the book will keep you from sin. And the book will keep you from your right to yourself. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and then when we...